Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Liz Kelly. The Ringer is introducing a new live Twitter after show covering season two of HBO's Big Little Lies with Jam Sessions' Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes. Immediately after each episode, they'll be going live to give their initial reactions and break down everything we saw in the episode. And to kick us off, there'll be a special season two preview airing this Friday, June 7th at 12 p.m. Pacific. So join Amanda and Mina for that this week and then catch Big Little Live every Sunday night on Twitter. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, joined as always by Kevin Clark. Kevin, today we are continuing our off-season series of big questions and big ideas about the NFL. We talked about the salary cap on our last show with Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Today we are digging into the quarterback position. All things quarterback, the most important position in sports, with our man from ESPN, Dan Orlovsky. Dan, we want to start with the breaking news which is that you destroyed Adam Schefter (laughs) in a chugging contest that's now gone viral and will continue to go viral. It just broke a couple of hours ago. Were you expecting that poor performance from Schefter? Uh, To be honest with you, yes. And and here's why. Uh, As as, as incredible of a person as Schefter is, and obviously he's a, a phenomenal reporter. We love him. He went to Ann Arbor. You know, like I lived in Michigan for seven years and the saying was, if you want to learn, go to Ann Arbor. If you want to have fun, go to East Lansing. So for all the Ann Arbor people out there that might not like that, that's just what I was told. And it kind of, you know, played itself out on on NFL Live today. Now, I know Brady went to Ann Arbor, too, uh, but I, I, I was really proud of my performance. I was I was at the same time when you go to school in stores, Connecticut. (laughs) <laughs> and it's January. There's not a lot to do, uh, so I have some background and and kind of being relatively equipped in that. Okay, we we are not going to devote the entire podcast to this as much as we would like to. We're here to talk quarterbacks. <laughs> Dan, 2018 was the year of the quarterback, but so was 2017 and 2016, and basically every year is the year of the quarterback. But when you think about the leaps and bounds the quarterback position grew by in 2018, what is the biggest thing? Well, I'd say the as as much as things have changed, I, I do want to drill home the point of they still are the same in many ways. Like the things that allow guys to be successful over time, that still is paramount. Can you be really accurate with the football? We saw that last year. Like we saw a guy that was six foot come into the NFL last year and break Peyton Manning. And in Russell Wilson's rookie passing record for touchdowns, that's Baker. Baker did that because you look at his accuracy. So that's still there. Like it just, we're accepting more of it looking differently when it comes to their size. But I would say the greatest thing that stood out would be the willingness of coaches to allow their quarterbacks to play aggressive football. Mm. Like to, for such a long time in the NFL, and I kind of grew up in this era in the NFL, been a part of it, but it was, the last 15 years, so many coaches would be, you know what, just don't turn the football over. That would be coached into quarterbacks so consistently of, you know, let's get a completion. You know, we, we heard that in the, in the 2000s was we want to just be completion driven. So just get completions. We'll play good defense and kick the ball well. And really what we saw this past year was even for Baker of being aggressive, obviously Patrick Mahomes being aggressive. Goff was super aggressive. A guy like Mitchell Trubisky took a massive step forward. It was because these guys were coached to be aggressive with the football. And that's 
probably a little bit to do with rules, probably a little to do with space. It's probably a little bit to do with these coaches just having a little bit more courage to uh, call plays that um, are a little bit more risky, but a little bit more reward. And that's probably the biggest thing as far as on the field. Um, schematically, I would say more coaches are getting to understand how important information is for their quarterbacks before the play. And uh, if you can give that to your guy, you certainly help him before the ball ever gets snapped. So I, I want to ask you about just the aggressiveness part because I do feel like that's true. But I also feel like, like you said, rules, a lot of other factors have kind of come together to make that possible. Do you think that it's easier to play quarterback aggressively right now than it's ever been? Do you think this approach would have worked in the era that you started when you came into the league? Or do you think it's unique to what we're experiencing right now? No, I think it's unique to what we're experiencing right now. I, it's easier. And, and this is why. So there's more teams playing man-to-man defense right now in the NFL or a version of man or match defense. And when I say match defense, meaning, you know, before the snap, it's really a zone. And then when somebody comes into a player's zone, they match them like they are in man coverage. More teams are playing defensively, playing some kind of a man because of the RPO infusion. The run-pass option infusion that is coming to the NFL has scared teams so much defensively. And the number one way to shut down really RPOs is make sure you're not in zone. So your defenders aren't in the, okay, is it run or is it pass? You just play man defense and it takes away really the opportunity or the big opportunity for the pass part of it. And so when you get a ton of man coverage, which is what's happening a lot in the NFL nowadays, you got opportunities to be more aggressive. You got opportunities to push the ball downfield or get some picks where, you know, in the early 2000s, the whole craze of the NFL was really playing zone and it was really two kinds of zone. It, it was that your Tampa two where eyes were on the quarterback or your cover three, which is, you know, kind of what the, the like Colts made their run on. And so that's zone defense where just get the ball to your hands because the pass rush was so good. The completions were there and that's why it was coached into guys. Just get completions, just get completions, make sure you're not turning the ball over or you don't have these six or seven different sets of eyes on you when you're in the pocket and the ball's coming out early. So it is easier for quarterbacks to be aggressive now because our man coverage, I like this guy against this matchup and defenses are playing more of it. Hmm. Hey, Dan, is there a guy and there may not be, or there, there may be a hundred of them. Is there a guy you think about who did not play in this era where you like to have seen them play now with the way things are set up? Maybe they were just born in the wrong year. Is there a guy maybe you played in years past that you say, man, this guy would just crush it right now. Oh, there's probably a ton, you know, I, I would say Michael Vick right now mm. in this era would be yeah. scary. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, kind of what I like in Kyler Murray too. I've always compared Murray to Michael Vick, uh, just because again, uh, he would be a very difficult guy to game plan against. He always was, but like, could you imagine him being an offense with that had three or four really good skill players that had the threat of the zone read and also the, the threat of the RPO and the speed that he had, it would be, very scary to defend against him. You know, I, it'd be interesting. Like, could you imagine what the different narrative on like a guy like Jeff George, mm. you know, who it w- was a physical monster and could throw it up and down the lot, but probably, you know, di- didn't think that well. I, I say this and it's not a slight on guys. There's, there's prime examples of quarterbacks having to think less nowadays for a lot of different snaps in the NFL. Now there's certain times where you have to more because of some of the, different coverages and the 
middle field open blitz packages you get, you have to take more, yes, but there's also a lot of times when it's just recess and you're in man coverage and hey, you don't have to think that much. And that's when the talent reigns supreme. And that's not a slight on guys. So that would probably be one that I'd be interested in. So the thinking less, that, that part of it just fascinates me because I think that you look at the league and there's so many teams doing a good job of setting their quarterbacks up to succeed while others are still setting theirs up to fail. So both with the information gathering and just the schematic tendencies, what do you see as aspects of those offenses that are really doing what they can to help their quarterbacks? Well, I'd say the number one thing, and people have heard me talk about this a lot, is you're, you're telling your, you're cutting your quarterback's coverage um, opportunity in half. And what I mean by that is a lot of good teams are I've caught up to Patriots and they are telling their quarterback before the snap, is it zone or man? And they're doing that like so many people know and so many fans know by moving running backs around or moving tight ends around and seeing who on the defense is covering that guy. So now you've taken 50% of the chances, 50% of the, the potential of coverages is, are gone before the snap for quarterbacks. You talk about having to think less. That's a perfect example. Um, a lot of a lot of teams are doing a really good job of cutting the field in half for guys. Meaning, um, they're telling them, "Hey, if you get any kind of middle field close coverage, any kind of defense that has a safety in the middle field, you're reading this guy. You're reading this side of the field, and then you're getting teams going. Okay, if you got middle field open, you got two safeties, and the middle field is open. You're reading this side of the field. You know." It's, it, you know, uh, I had a quarterback coach, Greg Knapp, who kind of really started doing this with Steve Young, and they called cutting the field in half, meaning you you no longer are asking your quarterback to read the whole field a lot. You're cutting in half for him. So you really started to speed things up. Co- you know, the, the good coaches are doing that. And then really good coaches are understanding how much um, the the movement of the second level is to help your passing game. You know, we only so often think of passing game tied to the secondary, but the really good coaches are the ones that are doing things to move the second level, the linebackers or drop down safety down the box. Cause that's what really uh, opens things up. Because when you talk about like a quarterback read, very rarely do quarterbacks read where the corner is. They feel where the corner is or read where a safety is. You feel their color. What quarterbacks need is the, the, the vision cleared of the, that second level, because that's when you get a little bit of hung in between for so many different routes. Can I get it up over him or can I get it through those two guys? But coaches that are displacing those guys left to right side by the sideline are making it easier for their quarterbacks. So my, here's my pet theory about this. And I guess this is my, my, whatever, my hypothesis about who does that well and how is motion and play action. It feels like those are the two aspects that would do that, those two things the best. So why, what's the deterrent to teams not doing those things more often? Is there a reason we haven't seen more teams embrace the amount of play action and motion like the Rams have or the Chiefs have or the Patriots have? Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right. It is with motion and play action. That's how you get that side to side movement. Why aren't more teams doing it? It's a little bit of a twofold. One, um, a lot of coaches in the NFL haven't done it and haven't been exposed to it, but they've been exposed to other things that have worked in the past. And coaches are hard-headed guys. Like you, coaches think that I can fix this guy. Oh, I can make this guy a player. Oh no, this this offense has been great. I experienced it myself. I remember um, playing with the Lions, and Mike Martz was coming over to be our offensive coordinator. 
And we would do all the stuff that the Rams did. We would do all the drop back game that the Rams did. And we could not do it. And Mike Martz kept calling that stuff that the Rams were great at. And one time, I remember having a conversation with John Kitna, and we were talking about the struggles. I said, here's the reality, dude. This offense is great when you have Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce and Orlando Pace (laughs) and Marshall Falk. Like, when you have those guys, this offense is great. But we can't run this offense. Joe Lombardi was our offensive coordinator with the Lions. He kept calling plays that the Saints would be very good at. The Lions and Matthew Stafford weren't. But he kept calling it because that's all he knew. One, that's all he knew. Two, he sought to be successful somewhere else. And so he's like, no, this works. I've seen it work. That's the biggest reason or one of the reasons why coaches can't do it. And the second thing is this, and this is kind of my analogy of it. You know, I can go on YouTube right now. I'm a six foot five, 205 pound, very, very um, non-rhythmic dude. I can go on YouTube (laughs) and search. (laughs) I can go on YouTube and search how to dance, right? And I can watch dance videos, step-by-step dance videos as much as I want. At the end of the day, I'm still not going to be able to dance. So these coaches can watch all the cut-ups they want of all this motion and, and play action and whatnot. But if they don't know how to teach it, they can watch it all they want. They're not going to be good at it. And so a, a, a lot of it is these coaches just can't figure out how to make it happen. In the same way, I can't just figure out how to dance just because I watched some videos of it. All right, before we get back to Dan, let's take a quick break. Father's Day is around the corner and a subscription to Golf Digest Schools is the perfect gift. With more than 350 video lessons on every part of the game, featuring golf's leading teachers from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed, it's like having the best minds in golf at your disposal wherever you are, on your phone, laptop, or TV screen. With Golf Digest Schools, you can send a video of your swing to be analyzed by a Golf Digest ranked teacher or follow their fitness programs to help you get in your best golf shape. These are not quick tips like you'd find on YouTube. From power to putting to breaking 100 to breaking par, no video program gives you more opportunities to take your golf game to the next level, just as if you were working with a pro. To sign up for Golf Digest Schools or to give it as a last-minute Father's Day gift, go to golfdigest.com slash access and use promo code NFL to get 30% off your annual subscription. That's golfdigest.com slash access and use promo code NFL for 30% off today. Dan, we now have a handful of years, kind of what you're talking about. The RPO isn't the phenomenon it was two or three years ago, but it's it's still scaring defenses enough. Um, it's still in the back of the mind. Obviously, you see so many of now the McVay, Shanahan-type offenses around the league. Andy Reid's offense is, is, is proliferating. When you think about what defenses can do, now there's tape. Is there any sort of coverage or any sort of advantage they'll have, even maybe after the Super Bowl and seeing what Belichick did to McVay? Is there any sort of advantage they'll have in 2019 they didn't have in 2018 or 2017? Well, I've said this for about 18 months now, and I saw one clip of it last year. I'll go back to the original statement I made about information for your quarterback. And when teams move their running backs or tight ends, And we saw this with the Colts versus the Texans last year. And I would imagine you guys saw this clip because it was really, really cool that, you know, the the Texans were in an offensive formation. They motioned their back out and the Colts brought Darius Leonard out and matched him, Darius Leonard, to the running back. So they basically Mm -hmm. were telling like Deshaun Watson, like, hey, we're playing man coverage. And then at the snap of the ball, they dropped out and played zone. And actually Deshaun Watson threw a pick because he was anticipating man coverage. 
I've been waiting for defenses to start start doing this. Now, it's really difficult because you you can exp- you can expose yourself to some issues. Like Darius Leonard was out playing a cover two squat corner in the flat. Um, but I'm waiting for defenses to be more willing to start to mess with the information that you're giving quarterbacks. And so that I would imagine more defensive coordinators will have more packages where they lie to quarterbacks, where they're, they'll go match the safety out on a tight end and they're going to play some cover three or play some cover two to that. So then the quarterbacks still have to, they don't have that advantage anymore. I want to see more defensive coordinators be willing to do that. Now, that being said, you've got to have the personnel to do it. You've got to have some, some guys that you trust, some guys that uh, can communicate. They got to be really smart. Uh, that that would be the number one thing that I'm looking forward to defense doing. And also, I do believe that we've seen offensive coaches in the off season go down to Norman, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and spend some time with Lincoln Riley. We need to get more defensive coaches more willing to go spend some time with some some college coaches and some defensive college coaches that are good at it. Like if I was an NFL defensive coordinator. I'm going down to TCU and I'm spending time with Gary Patterson, who does such a great job of, you know, in the NFL right now, defenses really need to start playing schemes more than playing defenses. You know, they, okay, we're cover three, but they've really got to start playing some schemes, offensive schemes to minimize the advantages that offense has had, which is something Gary Patterson does really well down at, at TCU. Um, those would be the two things that I'm looking forward to seeing are more NFL defenses doing this. So what do you mean by that? When you say playing schemes instead of playing defense, is it more about just matching what the D offense is doing and kind of playing specifically off of them? Or is it about kind exactly. of... Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So like, you know, for the longest time, it's a, it's cover three, it's cover two, it's quarters, it's, it's man free, it's, it's, it's robber, whatever. And they're playing their defense. Mm-hmm. What TCU does a great job of is they don't do a lot of different defenses, but okay, your, your two receivers are in tight splits here, and we know that you guys like to run these teams out of these splits. So, like, you'll see defenses do this down sometimes in third down and down in the red zone. Like, they'll get very specific in what the offensive set is, and then they'll, they'll change their defense per what the offense is lined up as. But defenses need to do this constantly. Like, okay, your two receivers are two yards from the tackle, and they're in a stack position. We know that you guys run these concepts. We're not going to run cover three here. We're going to we're going to shut down those schemes by the way we match and communicate, and then we're going to take all that stuff away. You know, it's almost what New England did in the Super Bowl in many ways, where they played some really different defenses with their six guys at the line of scrimmage and the way they rotated their coverage. They shut down schemes more than played defenses. It was very specific to what they were trying to do against L.A., more teams need to be focused on that defensively rather than we're just going to play cover two. So when you, that Darius Leonard play with the Colts, it feels like the way that more teams could accomplish that is by having second level defenders and even third level defenders that can kind of be a little bit more malleable in coverage. Do you feel like that's when you're talking about getting the right personnel, do you feel like that's where it's going to go where everyone kind of behind the defensive front is going to be closer to the same size than they would have been five, 10 years ago? Oh, sure. I mean, that's what's really happened in college football is, is you look at college football and, and you watch tape or you, you know, watch depth chart safeties and linebackers almost look to be the same person. Um, so that's going to be a big thing to see these teams and how they draft and whatnot. Now, that being said, you know, like 
it's funny because uh, I, I said like a lot of the league caught up to New England, but New England went back in time last year. Like that's the yeah. caveat is New England became this punch in the mouth running running football team, and so when you do that, when you have your linebackers looking a little bit more like safeties and safeties looking a little bit more like linebackers, you can be exposed to getting the ball run right at you down your throat. And so that's like it's. It's this really fine cat and mouse game in, in many ways of like, okay, what what are we going to be willing to sacrifice a little bit because we know that there are some weaknesses to everything that we do. But I would imagine seeing more teams if that's what they're going to do because that's in, you're, like I said, if you're asking me, that's what needs to happen for defenses to catch up and even the playing field a little bit. Yeah, you're going to have to see some linebackers and safeties kind of be inter- interchangeable parts. Dan, you know one of the things that Robert and I talk about off the podcast is how many changes there are at play caller this year, offensive play caller. And it's almost unbelievable um, how many guys, how many teams basically seem like they're changing play caller every year, whether their play caller gets a head coaching job or they're just, you know, getting rid of sort of bad play callers. The NFL seems to be cycling out of that. With all the movement in the league, is there any sort of coach-play caller combination you've circled for 2019 where you're saying, okay, this is the breakout, whether it's Darnold and Gase, whether it's, I mean, there's a lot of them. Is there any sort of 2019 dream team that you're saying these guys are going to be much better together than maybe they were in 2018? Um, you know, I've, I've said this. I'm, I'm super intrigued what Kellen Moore is going to do in Dallas. Ooh, yeah. Um, you don't hear that a and lot. This, and, this is what, and this is why, like, I don't think anyone can argue that Dak has been a good quarterback in Dallas. Some people might say he's been really good, but you can't say he's been bad. And you can't really say he's been below average. He's been good in Dallas. And he's done that with a little bit of limited skill player around him, but really with a very limited offensive creativity mindset, right? Like they've been staticky. It's been this receiver better to win against this coverage or it's going to be a, a ball in the dirt type thing. Like there's there You haven't utilized a lot of uh, modern day football. You haven't utilized Dak as a weapon. And Kellen Moore steps in here. One, everyone knows his background of, he was in, you know, kind of the, 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 the birthright of creative, creative college football at Boise, where they were, you know, as, as fun to watch as anybody. So he learned football that way. Um, two, his brother coaches in college football. So he's been, he's been attached to it just as a, uh, uh, you know, a family member being a part of it for for many years now, and and he's still only six seven years out of college. So, like, I'm interested to see and a guy that I played with, and this kid thinks outside the box. Like he and that's McVeigh, Maggie, Andy Reid, Sean Payton. Like these guys are all outside the box thinkers. He's a guy that I'm looking at going. He might be the next big thing. Now, I don't know, but there's a lot of traits of the outside-the-box thinking, the, the, the attachment to college football, the, the quarterback that's got a pretty unique skill set that hasn't been used in the right way. Offensive line, great run game, some pretty good skill players. Like That's an offense that I'm going, I'd be more surprised if Dallas's offense was okay than if Dallas's offense wasn't the, holy smokes, they're scoring 28 points a game, 30 points a game offense this year. I totally agree. I, I, that's one of the ones I'm so intrigued to watch because it does feel like that he didn't get much help. That they weren't propping him up. But more, again, as we talked about, all these first-year play callers, like you said, it's more. It's about more than just watching the clips that work. It's about more than just watching YouTube football. What elements of guys that you've been around that you've seen just as a play caller, even beyond an offensive mind, allows people to succeed early? 
As a play caller? Yeah. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, the biggest thing is understanding what your guys don't do well. Uh, a lot of times we get caught up in like, and this is part of it, like, hey, my guys are good at this, but that makes you be too comfortable. Understanding what your guys don't do well allows mm. you to be more free because you're more willing to take risk of what they do do well. You know what I'm saying? Like, but understanding, yeah. okay, if my guy doesn't do that well, cool, let's not incorporate that. But what does, what do we want to stay away from? And let's, let's figure out all that stuff and we're not going to do any of that, but then let's get super creative in the stuff that we feel comfortable with. I'd say under, just understanding what your guys don't do well. Um, and, and then having that courage, that willingness to be open-minded and, and to think outside the box and to not necessarily like coaches a lot of times will say like, oh, it's a process and whatnot and don't get caught up in the results, but then they coach differently. And the, the, the play callers that, uh, that kind of take their own advice and just call plays per the process rather than just the results. And that's a really fine line because it's a results-based business, but call plays as part of the process rather than the results. Uh, I think those two things stand out as guys that can have success early. Okay, so last year, obviously, there were a lot of rookie quarterbacks. There were five in the first round. Baker lights it up early, and then it's a mixed bag from basically everybody else. If there's a second-year guy you're looking at as a breakout candidate, who are you circling? Mm. All right, take Baker off the table Mm -hmm. because he broke out. Everyone (laughs) expects him to play. Yeah, everyone expects him to play really well. you know, I would say Sam Darnold. Mm. Um, last year was such a unique year for him, and he dealt with some injury. He now has a better offensive line. He now has a obviously Le'Veon being there, but really the the the, the big guy for me is Jamison Crowder because as a quarterback, man, to have a guy that can win in man coverage and understand where to be in zone is a big deal, and that's Crowder. And he, Sam didn't have that last year. So if those guys can stay healthy and be the, the performers that they've kind of been, that's a really big deal for Sam Darnold and his kind of growth this year. Now, does Adam Gase, um, you know, Adam Gase hasn't had a top 20 offense outside of Peyton Manning as his quarterback. So I, I, I still have to see that happen. Uh, but I'd say Sam Darnold strictly because health and having a, a second year in the NFL, I will say this. Uh, a guy that I was critical of, Josh Allen, showed some really you know interesting things last year. Um, and Brian Dable is a guy that I do believe has some really cool creativity there. Uh, but I still got to see Josh have plans at the line of scrimmage for bad stuff happening. I didn't see that last year. So that's why I'll go with Donald. All right, last one for you. As you look at the league right now and you see so many of these creative offenses – which is the one and which is the play caller and just offensive mind you would want to play for the most? Which scheme would you want to be in right now? Oh, you guys know that answer. Sean McVay. Mm. Okay. I mean, Sean McVay strictly because uh, there's, and I say this not to knock anybody, but man, he makes it easy on quarterbacks at times. Like you can make some, there, there's some chunk throws there that guys are relatively open. Uh, it also, because I know Sean, and the just the fearlessness that he coaches with, the encouragement that he coaches with, you always feel like things are good, good things are going to happen. But schematically, just he, he, 
very rarely asks you to just drop back and play football. He, there's always a rhyme or reason. There's always a next step thought in his mind of, hey, we're, we'll come back to this in the third quarter or the fourth quarter, and we'll get him on this. So um, just the, the freedom that I believe he allows golf to play with, I would love to just have that as a, as a player. So without, if Sean's off the table, who would it be? Because I, I probably should have known that. That's on me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, probably Andy Reid. You know, okay. and Andy's right now, Andy is, is as or Andy Reid or Matt Nagy. I really believe that are just these guys are as creative as outside of the box thinking as, hey, let's let's get all these different people moving before the snap and giving our quarterback a lot of options to go with the football, but making it very clear. Also, at the same time, it's not it's not a uh, it's not gray. It's black and white with flashes of color. I would say Andy Reid. Awesome. Well, Dan, that's all we got for you. We sincerely appreciate the time. It's always great to have you on. So thank you as always. And let's not have too much time go by before we do it again. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate you guys. Good to be on. Thanks, Thanks Dan. Later, bud. All right, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We will be back soon with our next big picture topic. Thanks a lot for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.